there, everybody. It is Monday, March 18th, 2019, and you are listening to the Salvage Title Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Brad Ezelik, and while I'm normally here to talk to you about car news, car culture, and car whatever, uh, today's episode is another Scrap Story installment. And I want to talk a little bit about some of the more interesting car-related news elements that have popped up in the past uh, 24 to 48 hours uh, that maybe don't necessarily need a full dip this coming Friday, um, but are definitely worth touching on at the very least. First things first, I want to talk a bit about the Lordstown Assembly Plant in Lordstown, Ohio. We did a big segment about this a few weeks ago on the main Salvage Title podcast, and the basic conclusion of what's going on there is that it is a gigantic mess. It is a mess of expectations, politics, and so much more. And, of course, Donald Trump had to enter into this debate uh, even further, and it has gotten not necessarily worse, but I think a little more messy. So Donald Trump had tweeted uh, earlier today that he had talked to the CEO of GM, Mary Barra, about his uh, problems with the closure of this plant, and Mary Barra had to reiterate that they were ceding this end of the market, the small compact car market, uh, to foreign companies, other 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 aspects of the of the small car market. Uh, it's just not there for GM, and so ending production of the cruise means that you know. It's done. They're leaving it. There's no going back. There's no reason to go back. And Trump hit back basically with, well, you know, we're going to make it happen. It's going to happen. You're going to face all these consequences and yada, yada, yada. And I, I don't think there's a lot of understanding going on between Trump and GM right now uh, with what kind of forces are at play. On the one hand, you know, Trump has a good point. You know, they they got all these tax cuts they were supposed to reinvent in this plant, or, or excuse me, reinvest in this plant. Um, you know, we need to build more cars in the United States. Like, that's all well and good. And it's one of a few things that perhaps to some extent I would say that I would agree with the president. Uh, but the reality of that is that's not how a global market works. Uh, that's not how any kind of market works. You can't force companies to build things here because your pol- or excuse me, your politics decree it as so. And on the flip side, GM really stepped in it because they got hundreds of millions of dollars in tax cuts this past year. They had one of their most profitable years in history, and yet they're taking this money, they're reinvesting in themselves by purchasing more of their own stock, uh, and they're making it so they have to pay out fewer dividends, they control more of their company, and, you know, there's a business case for doing that, but what's the human cost of doing something like that? You're you're ending all of these jobs, you're you're basically shutting down an entire town that was built around this factory. There's just not a humanity in this decision that they're making beyond the fact that GM can't manage themselves out of a paper bag when it comes to thinking ahead with new products and new developments. Uh, You know, as much as I did talk last week about how GM had some really cool cars in the mid-1990s, today there's just not much that's class competitive outside of Cadillac, and it's really disappointing, and it's really distressing, and them saying we give up on this segment of cars that at one point in time they arguably had some of the better choices in the market, it's just astonishing that this is the point that we've gotten to. 
So then when you kind of leave those two to bicker it out, you've got the UAW, you've got the town of Lordstown fighting about what needs to happen. And, you know, they've got themselves saying they don't want Tesla to come in. They don't want Amazon to come in. They don't want all of these potential options to save jobs to come in. And that's really disappointing and really disheartening and not completely understandable in many situations because if Tesla was to come in, you know, there would be factory jobs. There would be people who would be able to work and continue to build cars and this great history of this plant would be able to continue. But the argument in return would be, would Tesla pay them the kind of money that they want to get paid? Would Tesla let them stay unionized? Probably not. If Amazon comes in, are they going to pay well? Are they going to treat their workers well? More than likely not. And I can definitely understand where they're coming from. There's apparently some guy in Lordstown whose name I don't remember uh, saying that he has been in negotiations to somehow take over this plant to continue building something. And it's not entirely clear. And because he doesn't want to talk about specifics of it, that likely means that it's all bullshit. And that's going to be the problem is that there's going to be this carrot hung out in front of these people for the next year or two or three about all these different solutions, all of these different scenarios that are going to help them save this plan or save the town or save their money. And it's just never going to materialize. And it's terrible. And this is this is what we've been dealing with in Michigan for the past 30 years. And I just, I don't know when people are going to realize that these jobs aren't coming back. They're never going to come back. And even when they have come back, it's only been temporary. Uh, because as soon as Ford or GM or Chrysler finds a more profitable avenue to build their cars and continue to not invest in better quality products to increase sales, they're going to do that instead. You know, they're, they're going to take the cheaper option, the easier option. And, you know, it, there's just, there's no capitalism doesn't help this situation, I think is a good way to say that. So, you know, I mean, if if I had it my way, you know, my suggestion would be that maybe GM goes, hey, maybe we should, you know, build something here. And what that something is, I don't know. But moving some production of something to this location or talking about what some of their new product developments are and building them in this plant would make some level of sense. But you know, it's going to be costly. You know, it's going to be time consuming. It's going to be uh, not maybe the best decision in every scenario. And it's the best way to say it is there's no easy answer. And I think that's really the problem that people are frustrated with. And, you know, we'll continue to monitor this story as it continues to change and grow. But I think we're going to have a pretty bitter politics fight in Ohio about it in the very near future. And I really think Democrats are going to have a big advantage in this scenario because they can take the side of the UAW, they can take the side of the people who work and live in this town, and they can say, hey, look at all these things that you were promised by the Trump administration, look at all these nice things that were said by GM and they still pulled the rug out underneath you, let's force change now, and you know, I, I hope they play hardball on it, so we shall see. The other thing I want to talk about today is kind of related to batteries. Uh, batteries are a thing that we use all the time and with the growing uh, electric car market here in the United States, batteries play a really important role in for you to be able to uh, drive your car and keep it charged. And many car companies are trying to find different ways to get these batteries built uh, as fast as possible to keep the demand up for EVs as best they can. And in many of those situations, the best option has been that you design and build the battery yourself. 
But the truth of the matter is that many car companies do not have the time, money, or expertise to be able to design and build their own batteries. And so they contract it out to companies uh, like A123, uh, LG Chem, and several others. In the case of the new Hyundai Kona EV and also the Kia Niro EV, uh, there have been some huge production constraints on these vehicles uh, as they continue to ramp up in availability across the United States. Now, granted, Kia is saying that the new Niro EV is only going to be available on carb states for the foreseeable future. Hyundai had promised that the new Kona EV would be available in all 50 states immediately. All you need to do is order it. Uh, and that has been... A really interesting thing, especially when with incentives, this vehicle would start at less than $30,000 and it comes really well equipped and it's won a bunch of awards, making it one of the best crossovers available in the U.S. It won a bunch of awards for being a best choice EV here in the U.S. Uh, it's got a lot going for it. But when cars first started rolling off the line late in 2018, they were building as many as 5,000, 5,500 vehicles a month. Now that number has apparently dipped below 2,000, perhaps even as low as 1,200 a month because they just cannot get enough batteries made. Uh, this is going to be an ongoing problem, I think, for a lot of car makers all across the world as the race for these rare earth minerals and so many other things that go into these batteries become harder and harder to get. They become more expensive. As more companies continue to expand into EVs, it'll become more difficult to get. And it's going to become a capacity issue. Like how many batteries can be made before they become fitted to these vehicles? And, you know, like I said, unless you're controlling the production yourself, uh, it shouldn't be quite as big of an issue. Now, to kind of coincide with that, Tesla announced early this morning uh, that they are ending production already, after less than six months, of the mid-range Tesla Model 3. Their argument is that the mid-range model was designed to be a stopgap between the $35,000 Tesla and the much more expensive long-range Tesla uh, to kind of crank up orders before the federal tax cuts run out. Uh, Tesla's argument is that they're going to be able to build a lot more of these smaller capacitor batteries and focus more on the larger tech batteries. Uh, and they also argue that, you know, with the small upgrades that you can get with the, uh, like, the digital unlocking of battery capacity with the uh, cheap Tesla, it kind of covers that middle ground for the most part for most people. And, you know, that's all well and great, but then the new Model Y already has a mid-range model announced. So I'm a little confused as to where all of this works out in the great pipeline that is Tesla's manufacturing capacity. That being said, we'll probably never know. They're still a privately held company. There's not going to be a lot of reports on how different things operate within them. Uh, but it is definitely curious to see where things are going with Tesla on this. Um, I do like having the option of the digital unlock of the battery, but it makes me just go, why aren't they just building one single capacity battery and just making that digital unlock that much bigger? I I, I don't know. It, it's a weird way of doing things. And it kind of, you know, it's also interesting when you think about this kind of situation uh, in the light of that Fiat that I talked about a few weeks ago uh, at the Geneva Auto Show. Uh, Fiat announced the 120, I'm forgetting what the model name designation is uh, in Italian, uh, Centivento, I think, that might be the one. Uh, anyway, that car had that really small capacity battery um, that you would be able to 
they basically come with the carnet. It's like a 60-mile range battery. Um, but then you could go to your local Mopar parts dealer and buy different batteries uh, of the same capacity, up to three. And then there was a portable battery that's mounted under the rear seat. Uh, in that situation, you know, they would basically be building these small capacity modular batteries. They'd probably be able to crank them out pretty quick. A pretty good chance that a lot of owners of the Sentivento would probably opt for two or three batteries in most of those situations. I don't know. It just seems like that maybe solves some of that capacity problem because you're right-sizing the battery for every single person. And with that catch can and air quotes battery in that rear seat, you know, even if you get the 60 mile option, you still got that extra 20 miles or so that would be in there uh, to do just that little bit more. <sighs> it's a weird, complicated mess with EVs. And I think that's what is interesting about it is that it's so similar to our gasoline problems, but it's not quite the same thing. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But anyway, I wanted to just kind of talk about those two things for a little while, kind of maybe not bore you to death with some of this later in the week, but uh, just talk about it as the news continues to break. Uh, if you want to follow back on previous episodes of the Salvage Title Podcast, you can do so by heading on over to anchor.fm uh, slash YSSMAN. And you can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash YSSMAN. Uh, we do the show twice a week, normally on Tuesday and Friday. Uh, sometimes episodes get missed, other times they don't. So bear with me as we continue to do this, despite me working a full-time job elsewhere. Um, but we post these episodes for free uh, on Spotify, Apple iTunes, Google Podcasts, and so much more. So make sure you give us a subscribe. Uh, if you're not already to subscribe, uh, make sure you hit like and uh, give us a little rating if they let you do that. That really helps us get seen by more and more people. Well, anyway, guys, I hope you have a fantastic start to the rest of your week. And we'll see you again this Friday for the last episode, not the last episode, of the Salvage Title Podcast. See you then. Thank you.